0: This is Attack of the 20th Century. Thank you for joining us as we explore science fiction, fantasy, and horror films of the 20th century. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your other host, Kim. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3, where we review High Spirits from 1988, our 24th episode overall since starting the podcast. Woohoo! Look for us on Instagram and Facebook at Attack of the 20th Century, that's 20th. We post our next movie selection there. You can comment, give your thoughts. And they just might make it on the air. So we had a little disappointment this week.
1: A little one, yes.
0: Our Christmas present. It was actually my Christmas present to the whole family. Yes, you
1: surprised the family with these tickets.
0: We were going to go see Stomp. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how famous Stomp is these days. But if you are unfamiliar, they are a percussion group. They use ordinary objects to create rhythms as part of their dance I think if People show.
1: are close to our age. They've probably heard of Stomp.
0: Okay. It's been around a while. Well... One thing that we didn't get to do is watch it this week.
1: <laughs> and we did not get to watch Stomp, even though it was on the calendar and we had tickets for it.
0: So they clearly had my email address because they emailed me the tickets for the show. Right. Wednesday, we get all dressed up. Gussied
1: up. up. Not yeah. really, but yeah.
0: Not crazy, but you know, we were looking good. And our whole family got in my truck and went to see Stomp. And to our dismay, there was an empty parking lot
1: it was a very empty parking lot, disturbingly empty. We were like, "Wait a minute!" We checked the tickets for the date and the time. We drove around all of their available parking lots <laughs> to see if maybe we were choosing the wrong entrance. Ruth Eckerd Hall is not that big of a place, so there really are not that. There's like two parking lots.
0: But we saw on the front door a little eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper.
1: Uh-huh. So we
0: pulled up, got out, and it said it had been postponed till
1: April. April thirteenth. That's right. Womp womp. Womp womp. Us and one other lone car. So somehow Ruth Eckert Hall had the wherewithal well that rhymed to contact every other person that had purchased tickets to Stomp and tell them not to show up. But not us and not Not this and I think there was a third car that was pulling up behind us that was about to get the same rude awakening. Yeah. But just us three. No
0: email, no phone call, no. I don't get it.
1: Bizarre. Very bizarre. Hopefully we'll get to see it in April though. I mean Mm. just made for a little road trip. In the middle of the week.
0: Mm-hmm. So what have we been watching this week?
1: Oh, boy. Um,
0: aside from our movie.
1: Aside from our movie, well, um, our daughter and I are excited because PBS has brought back a second season of All Creatures Great and Small, so that's been fun to watch with her. She's read not the whole book series, but mm-hmm. a good portion of them. I've started the first book, but haven't finished it. So it's been fun. Obviously, they don't follow the books, Explicitly, But they have been a fun retelling of the stories. And there are some, if you watch Downton Abbey or any of the other PBS shows, you'll recognize a lot of these British actors. So it's been fun. That and uh, Masterpiece Mystery has come back on. Okay. So I think Vienna Blood is what's running right now. Um, it's not my favorite of the Masterpiece Mysteries, but mm-hmm. it's different. It's very Freudian. It's like a crime thriller thriller. With a Freudian twist. So this mm-hmm. guy this guy is studying new methods of psychoanalysis and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's set in that time period where I you know I guess the early twentieth century, where Freud has just kind of started making his mark on the world. Okay. So uh, it's different. It's all right. It's not their best. But it it's
0: sounds interesting at least. Yeah.
1: It's fun to watch. Oh, and we have Netflix again. We haven't had Netflix for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So I am trying to get caught up on the great British baking show. Because sadly, I'm much farther behind than anyone else who follows that show.
0: Who's the dark-haired guy that's so funny in that show? Noel
1: Fielding. <laughs> Noel Fielding. <laughs> yes. He's a mess. He is a mess. He's hilarious. <laughs> and our daughter has decided she likes kind of a gothic vibe right now, so she mm-hmm. thinks he's really cool. Yes. And hilarious. And he is very quirky, hilarious, odd guy. Lots of fun.
0: Speaking of our daughter, uh, she and I went to see West Side Story. Oh, that's right. The Steven Spielberg version the new that one. came out in the. Uh, 2021, and it was amazing.
1: Yeah, you guys had nothing but high praise for it. Oh,
0: It was heartbreaking. Uh, it was vastly superior to the original, I, I felt. Yeah. Some of the cast I wanted to mention. Ansel Elgort as Tony. Sure. He was awesome. He's like the next Heath Ledger, I think is what we told you. There's, yeah, that's
1: what you guys said. Oh.
0: He seemed to have it all. He's got the face, the voice, the acting chops. Wow. Rachel Zegler plays Maria Mm-hmm. And She she was awesome. The two of them, I mean, you know, you have, if you're familiar with the story, you realize like it's a uh, kind of a modern Romeo and Juliet exactly. in musical form. Yep. Ariana DeBose plays Anita, David Alvarez plays Bernardo, uh, and then Rita Moreno comes back and plays a different character, Valentina.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I like that they brought Rita Moreno back. She was in the original film mm-hmm. version.
0: So it's great. It's wonderful. But yeah, definitely a tearjerker.
1: Yes, I'm still on the fence as to whether or not I'll see it, just because I know it's fantastic, but man, it's a sad story. I
0: felt a little blue for a couple days afterwards. Yeah. But one thing I really want to recommend, look up Ansel Elgort singing Something's Coming. Oh, that's right. That is just so gorgeous. It's the best version I've heard of that song. I love it. Okay, so this week we are watching High Spirits.
1: That's right. So, if you don't like spoilers, pause us now and come back and visit us after you watch High Spirits from 1988, and I will tell you what IMDB says about it. It says, when a hotelier attempts to fill the chronic vacancies at his castle by launching an advertising campaign that falsely portrays the property as haunted, two actual ghosts show up and end up falling for two guests. And sadly, as much as I find this movie fun, Mm -hmm. uh, Rotten Tomatoes did not have high ratings for it. And I'll just leave it at that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think horror comedies in general sometimes struggle getting a huge percentage of fans. It's hard to find a hundred percent or eighty percent or even just a great score for a four ho- comedy. 50%. <laughs> really? That bad.
1: Yeah, the audience score is fifty-eight percent. The tomato meter is a twenty-seven percent. Oof. Not great at all. It's a PG thirteen movie. So, you know, it's the eighties, it's PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. There's some sexual innuendos and some, you know, funny business going on. But other than that, it's a relatively clean, yeah. silly movie. Right. You know?
0: So I saw this movie when it first came out, either in the theater or when it was released on VHS. I would have been about 11 at that time. And I yeah. don't remember much about it, really, that, after that first viewing. Then we watched it as a family maybe a year ago. Right. And then you and I watched it... Um, this week? This week. And it seems to benefit from repeat viewings.
1: Yeah, I think you catch more of the little pranks and little hidden things that are happening. Mm Because there are kind of Easter egg-y things happening. Not that they were intended to be Easter eggs. There's just kind of a lot going on on Mm -hmm. set. And so it's kind of fun. You don't get all of that on the first viewing. Mm
0: -hmm. Had you watched it previously before last year?
1: I feel like I probably did see it as a kid. But it wasn't one that I watched a lot or on repeat. I probably saw it once. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have like... I, you know, dialogue seared into my brain like I do with other 80s movies, like The Goonies or something. Yeah. You know, Princess Bride.
0: Mm-hmm. So Irish writer and director Neil Jordan went on to direct The Crying Game and interview with a vampire.
1: Well, he went real serious after this movie. He did.
0: <laughs> he got all the comedy out of his system, I guess. Wow. But uh, he's maintained that the version that was released is much more comedic than the original vision that he had for the film. Oh. There's actually a cut that's much more serious out there somewhere, never been seen. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's I'd be excited to see what that would look like.
1: I don't... I just... How can you go serious with this? Like, there's <laughs> nothing about this film that lends itself towards seriousness, yeah. but... Yeah.
0: It definitely was goofy hijinks most of yeah, the
1: time. Yeah, yeah. Like, even a, you know, kind of highly respected actor like Peter O'Toole, like, Mm -hmm. just nails this silly, eccentric character.
0: Yeah. Daryl Hannah was nominated for a Razzie Award as Worst Supporting Actress. Oh, no. Uh, I didn't think she did too badly.
1: Well, she's kind of playing, I mean, she's playing this aloof ghost who's clearly, like, trapped in her own horror every night. Like, she has to be re-murdered by her... Dastardly husband. So I don't know, like,
0: yeah, like you mentioned, her accent was a little iffy.
1: Yeah, her her Irish accent is probably as good as mine. Yeah, which ain't great. Right.
0: <laughs> but as far as the acting, I thought she did just fine for um, what
1: it is, for what the movie is. Her acting was fine.
0: She basically plays a damsel in distress. Exactly. It's kind of an unfortunate situation, you know. She had to, like basically one day to fall in love with someone. And she used words like, I could fall in love with someone like you, Jack. And some of her tactics could be looked at as manipulative. Like, every time she heard something she didn't like, she would turn around and start crying. And and then
1: kind of like ghostly disappear. Yeah. Go away, right? Right. Real passive-aggressive ghost, if you ask me. Yeah,
0: big time. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck uh, with being with her for eternity, Jack.
1: Yeah. Have fun with that.
0: But as far as the performance, I didn't think it was... uh, you know, it's not a standout that we'll call out, but it wasn't. Sure, you know, it wasn't shoddy by any means.
1: Sure, I feel like we should give a little more of, of the synopsis than what I did in that that intro. So basically, we've got this failing Irish castle, right? And Peter O'Toole has inherited it from his family. His family had titles and money at one point, but now he is he has dropped the ball. He knows nothing about running. An old castle as a hotel to keep up the grounds or anything. Mm -hmm. So it's a mess. So he decides, oh, let's pretend there's ghosts. He got the idea really from his mom. Apparently his mother still lives in the castle with him. And then some townspeople that kind of depend on this castle for their living. Mm -hmm. Um, And they all need jobs or they're all going to be bankrupt. And the mom... She, They kind of paint her as like she's crazy. Peter O'Toole's mom's a little zany. She believes there's ghosts in the castle. She talks to ghosts all the time. And they just ignore her. Mm-hmm. But finally, Peter O'Toole's like, you know what? Let's use that. Mom says there's ghosts here. Let's sell it to the Americans and the tourists and whoever as, like, a ghost-ridden castle. It'll be a haunted mansion-type situation. Mm -hmm. So they try and pull that off by creating their own ghosts. They've got, you know, these townspeople rigged up in trees and (laughs) swinging across, you know, basically, like, ziplining from castle tower to castle tower dressed as ghosts. And they've got mirror tricks happening and, you know, all the funny, like, old spook house-type tricks. Yeah, And the Americans and the tourists are seeing through it right away. They're like, and most of them go awry. So that's like the slapstick comedy of it. Right, right. just lots of physical comedy. Somebody's making one of the bed. Jennifer Tilly's in this, and she's on a bed that's spinning, and it, you know, basically flies off of its moorings and ends up blasting through the castle like it's a <laughs>
0: it falls through multiple floors <laughs> yeah. then goes, goes down, down the, the stairs as if it were a i don't know a sled on like a ice theme, like
1: a theme park ride or something yeah. i mean it really looked like gosh if this had come out earlier this would have been disney's prototype for the haunted mansion ride basically you know mm-hmm. it's just crazy silly antics that are happening but in the midst of all this our beloved, I say beloved, Steve Gutenberg, who if you've watched any 80s movies, you know who Steve Gutenberg is. He's yeah. like that guy that's always there. Yeah,
0: and we grew up with him, so we have a fondness for Steve.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's
0: kind of like Gene Wilder or some of these others that we grew up kind of with that. I don't know. He's got like an uncle... Uh, thing going on for him or something. Yeah, like
1: a zany uncle. Yeah. But my friend calls it the Funkle. The fun uncle. <laughs> the <funcle>. Funkle. <laughs> um Yeah, so he's kind of got that fun uncle thing going for him. You like him. And he's always a little bit hard on his luck, right? Like he's always with the wrong girl or something. And that's what yeah. he comes to this mansion or this castle with his wife who's clearly got a silver spoon in her mouth and just, she's a witch like she's not yeah. in like a magical sense like she's mean yeah mean she spirited, publicly unloving. embarrasses him yeah dominates
0: she, him basically just yeah. makes him feel like crap
1: exactly and we find out her father's company or something actually owns this property and is about to you know take it back from the irish right owners. they actually
0: want to transport the castle to california somehow
1: yeah to turn it into you know some Whatever. gimmicky california thing
0: yeah So, yeah, he gets this idea. Peter O'Toole gets this idea to turn the place into, like, a haunted hotel. Yeah. And it made me wonder, like, do these places actually exist? Oh, yeah. So I did a little research. I wanted to share a couple things with you. Okay, what do you got? So, of course, there's the bed and breakfast that Lizzie Borden is her house where her parents were murdered.
1: That's the first one I thought of when you mentioned this.
0: I looked up. We could stay there next week for $272 a night to stay in Lizzie's room.
1: No, thanks. I'm good. You're good? <laughs> where is that? In the northeast somewhere?
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't remember where it is. Now I looked up in Florida. If there's just any near us, there's one in Key West, Marrero's Guest Mansion. Oh. Built in 1899. You hear the sound of children playing and babies crying throughout the night.
1: No, thanks. I can hear that at my own house. <laughs> Not Pete, the babies anymore.
0: St. Pete Beach, Lowe's Don Cesar...
1: Oh, the dances are. That's nice.
0: Yeah. Let's see. Thomas Rowe and his forbidden love, Lucinda, are often seen walking the grounds. Thomas with a white suit and a Panama hat, and Lucinda with her raven black hair.
1: Hmm. Well. Okay.
0: Key West Concha Hotel. Don't know it. We were in Key West a while back, but I don't remember that place. Mm-mm. The fifth floor and elevators of this place are said to be haunted since one man died when he fell down the elevator shaft in the 1980s. Ooh. Uh St. Augustine Casa Monica Hotel. Okay. It's apparently haunted by several ghosts dressed in jazz age attire.
1: Oh, well, that's kind of fun. <laughs> they came to party, those ghosts. Okay.
0: So this is the thing. People like to go and... Oh yeah! Get their ghost on. Well,
1: you know, you can even if even if you're not going to stay in a place. Almost all those touristy cities do like a ghost tour. Well,
0: that's what I wondered. Like these these guests that show up in the movie, they're instantly critical. Especially there's like a ghost scientist or whatever. Yeah,
1: he's what's that actor's name? He's the blood sucking lawyer from Jurassic Park. (laughs) Yes. He's in this movie. He brought his family, but he's a parapsychologist, I think is what they call him, or a parapsychic yes. something. Martin Ferrero. Okay, Martin Ferrero. He's like the ghost expert that shows up, and he just shows up. Like, why do you spend your vacation money, go all the way to Ireland to bust these people and, and be like, actually, you don't actually have ghosts? Yeah. You chumps.
0: Yeah, they came with a chip on their shoulder, and I thought, like, well, nobody goes on a ghost tour, I wouldn't think, and behaves that way. You go expecting it to be a little bit hokey. Yeah,
1: exactly. A little silly. That's what you're there for.
0: That's right. Yeah. Oh, well. But I guess that added to the plot of the movie, though.
1: Yes, for sure. For sure. It added to the plot.
0: So now we'll talk about standouts and setbacks. And so the first standout, and you mentioned him a couple times now, Peter O'Toole playing Peter Plunkett.
1: Yes, this is the Plunkett family castle. Yes.
0: So he's a very eccentric character. He's got this great dry wit. I loved his interaction with the unhappy customers on the phone at the (laughs) beginning of the movie.
1: (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: And uh, he's just unapologetically lazy, and he admits to that. Yes, yes. And he seems to not care... But then he's, like, ready to hang himself a couple times.
1: Yeah, I will say, there. yeah, there's some a little too light-handed with the whole, like, suicide attempts he tries. You don't know if he's he's really serious
0: about it or what. He has a noose around his neck, talking to his mother, trying to, hey, can you hold on to this for me? Throws her the other end of the rope. And she's she's like, like,
1: no. I'm not going to help you hang yourself.
0: (laughs) But he sounds like... You know, a louse or something. But if when you're watching it, there's something magnetic about his personality. Though
1: he's very lovable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe lovable, strong. But he's definitely very likable. Like you're just like this poor guy. He cannot get it together.
0: No, and you can see why these other workers like stick around, even though the place is failing and in shambles. I think they love him. They love the place, but there's an attachment to him.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And also, there was this other scene I wanted to mention. It's kind of a semi-serious scene with his father, when he sees his father. Oh, right. Who's uh, risen from the dead. And but he's, he's not
1: risen from the dead. He is legit like a, a ghost. Oh, that's He's one true. of the real ghosts.
0: That's true. He's still a ghost. But
1: he didn't know his father was living there as a ghost. Right. Until, you know, later in the movie.
0: So he has this good interaction with his father where he's basically like confessing that... You know, you let me down. You went and died on me and left me with this hotel. I don't care about this place. Or and I, I don't know how to run it. I don't know how to run it and you yeah. left me. You get most people have the decency to be sick for a few years before they uh,
1: yeah. die. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, most people are old and sick for years, you know, slowly lose their mind or something. No, you're in the prime of your health and just drop dead <laughs> and I know nothing about running a, a hotel or a castle.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it was funny, but then there was like it rang true, like this. Right. There was some seriousness and weight behind this conversation. For they were sure, having. for sure. So, this, I think this is what Peter O'Toole brings you in this film like a real good, serious actor right. who can also do comedy.
1: And he kind of switched in and out of that seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Really. And honestly, isn't that kind of all the great 80s movies from our childhood? They have that total mix of like just raucous, crazy silliness. Yeah. With a measure of like, oh, there's something a little bit deeper there. Yeah. And then it's action. There's a love story. This is just like a grab bag of all the things. Yeah. I think that's a quintessential 80s movie.
0: No, you're right. Uh, Crocodile Dundee was this way. Yeah. It's funny... But there's also, like, there's a romance going on. There's some action and adventure.
1: Right. Then there's a little undercurrent of reality.
0: Yeah. You're right. There was a grab bag back then. And I think of comedies today, and I say today. I don't really watch too many comedies of today. But
1: yeah. think of
0: things like, um, oh, I don't know, The Hangover, for instance. Oof. There's not too many redeeming qualities of The Hangover. No. Right? It's just no. like, yuck, yuck. Like, yeah. we're going to do gross out things, and you're going to laugh. But there's not really that other side. Right. There's no depth to the to the story. But anyway, we're not here to trash Hangover too much. <laughs> Did you have any standouts you wanted to mention?
1: Uh, well, we mentioned Steve Guttenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you watched a lot of '80s movies, you've seen his face. You know him. He's great. He plays Jack Crawford, and I already mentioned, like, he comes just... He thinks he's getting a vacation with his wife, who clearly doesn't love him very much. Yeah. So he's thinking, okay, it's a vacation. He seems like he's excited about this vacation, and then finds out she's still going to bust his butt, and uh, I almost said something else. I decided I would PG that <laughs> <up>. <laughs> and treat him just like trash. She treats him like a trash throwaway person. Yeah. Um, so, anyhow... Like I was saying, Steve Gutenberg's a huge part of our childhood, I think. If you grew up watching Police Academy, Three Men and a Baby, mm-hmm. Cocoon, Oh, Short Circuit, I yeah. loved Short Circuit growing up. You just kind of love Steve Gutenberg. He's oh, kind yeah. of the everyman, right? Mm-hmm. From every 80s everyman, I guess. Right. Um,
0: Actually, I pointed out to you recently his yeah. Instagram I discovered.
1: Out of the blue.
0: And he's got what he calls a ditty.
1: His, Basically his little ditty. A,
0: He's got a ditty for the day and there's always something bright and positive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know? he's a very positive guy.
0: He's an encourager, like motivational. It's not over the top. It's just no. maybe 20 seconds, 30 seconds of, of kind words.
1: Yeah, or like just hey, go call somebody you haven't talked to in ages or you know, like mm-hmm. it's really nice. It's it's very sweet and endearing. I mean, it harkens back to the Steve Gutenberg we thought we knew from the 80s, right? right? So, no, so he did an excellent job playing I don't know, just this kind of beat-down guy, but that still is looking for the silver lining.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: and then, of course, then he falls for... He's being very mistreated in his marriage, and he Mm -hmm. falls for Daryl Hannah's character as a ghost. Right. She died in this castle 200 years ago because she was murdered by her husband, who falsely thought she was cheating on him. Mm -hmm. And she was basically forced into the marriage anyhow. Yeah. Um. So every night for 200 years, she's having to relive this, like, Yeah, and the guy who murders her, Liam Neeson. Yes, like this really is kind of a who's who of (laughs) of Hollywood, I guess. He's
0: almost unrecognizable though. He's so
1: young. Yeah, he's so young.
0: I have him called out as a standout too. Okay, it's a very different role for him. You know, this is pre-action and serious. Yes, before
1: he was, you know, rescuing his daughter from. Kidnappers or terrorists or whatever. Right,
0: he was murdering his wife back then.
1: Yes, he was an <laughs> Irish murderer.
0: <laughs> and there's, and he's dri- he's driven mad with lust for Sharon, which is played by Beverly D'Angelo. Oh yes. And there's a scene that's pretty funny where you know he's going back and forth between he's tormented by the fact that he's just murdered his wife, and then he looks over and sees Beverly D'Angelo. Modern and day Beverly. Modern day. Yeah. And very quickly transitions from his personal grief to this uh, crazy lust for Sharon, and
1: he's like, "What a woman! What a woman!"
0: (laughs) So I don't know. He he's um, he goes from being like this brutal character to also comical.
1: Yes, he's like you love to hate him kind of thing. Like he's just a gross pig of a human. He's murdered his wife on their wedding night over something stupid that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But then he's he's like just a pig of a man Yeah. after, uh, what's her, Beverly, Beverly mm-hmm. D'Angelo, yes, mm-hmm. and probably everybody knows her from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, right? Yes. Chevy Chase's wife.
0: See, I, and I even said during the movie, like, it doesn't make sense for her to be with Steve Gutenberg, she should be with Chevy Chase.
1: I uh, yeah, yeah, the whole time <laughs> you're thinking, you're with the wrong guy. No
0: wonder you're so unhappy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's a completely different character in this movie she than she was in the Christmas Vacation movie, for mm-hmm.
0: sure. Uh, another uh, standout I'll mention, my favorite scene. So there's a scene where they have this, you've seen it, like cardboard type apparatus. I'm sure
1: there's probably theater names for this type of stagecraft. If we, if our friend Ashton were on here, she could tell us. Yeah. Because it's where they have like the silhouettes cut out and they can move like ocean waves. There's mm-hmm. different layers of ocean waves and you can you Rock them back and them, forth. Rock them back and forth. Yeah.
0: So they have it looking like an ocean that's moving back and forth. They have this mermaid. They have a ship. And it's all decorated, and they're telling a story. They use this earlier in the film to tell like a ghost story. Yes. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, and they they walk off from that. Yeah, well all Later the on,
1: tourists are bored.
0: Yeah. Later on, when the ghosts actually come out and start, you know, revealing themselves, the whole scene comes to life. Right. And a giant squid appears, like in that cardboard format. Yeah, you it know. still
1: looks like a cutout.
0: But then a tentacle reaches out and actually grabs him. A real tentacle reaches out yeah. and grabs a boy. And pulls him into the setting, and the boy transforms into this, you know, decorated...
1: He looks like one of the cardboard cutouts. One of the cardboard cutouts. He was a real boy, and then wham, now he's part of the set.
0: Yeah, and water's being splashed on the folks as they throw a rope and a life uh, life raft to this kid, which, of course, then also transforms into this cardboard look. That's right. And they have to pull him out, and that whole thing was just crazy. It
1: It had some intensity to it, also. Yeah. Like, it was... There was still the comical thread to it, but there was intensity there We are like, ah, this kid's getting sucked into the ghost mansion. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and we've talked before that it's hard to kill a kid in a movie, right? Because sure. so a lot of times you it don't. It should w-
1: be hard to kill a kid anywhere, movie or not. Right. But I
0: mean, like when you're watching a film, you're not really, you know, there's part of you that's like, okay, I know the kids are going to survive.
1: Right. That's true. Right. But in this
0: case, when he's like a little cardboard kid, you just don't know. Mm mm. So I think that led to some of the peril. <laughs> but it was exciting and interesting visually.
1: No, it was very cool. I did like some of the craftiness of the ghost and what they could and couldn't do. Apparently, it took us a little while, I think, watching the movie to realize Mary, mm-hmm. Daryl Hannah's ghost, can see through the walls. Yes. Um, like, you see her approaching a room from her perspective, even though the living people in the movie can't see her coming. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of a weird effect and it, it takes a little bit to figure out like, "Oh, she must be able to see through the wall because she can pass through the
0: wall?" Right.
1: I don't know. It's it was different.
0: It was a cool effect, I thought too. Like you see the back of Steve Gutenberg and, you know, she's approaching him, but right. she can see him from far away and you realize, "Oh, his back's against the wall."
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a stone castle wall behind mm. him. How in the Oh, she can see through the wall. Okay. Right.
0: No, that was definitely cool. Uh, as far as setbacks, we mentioned Beverly D'Angelo, great actress. She plays Sharon in this film. Uh, no fault of her own, I don't believe, but she's written as this one-dimensional character with yeah. no redeeming qualities.
1: No, they really painted her very flat. She's, you don't want to like her at all. You have no, mm. you don't feel the teeny bit guilty for Gutenberg falling in love with this ghost because right. you're like, yeah, this lady is awful to him. She's trash, yeah. like. Go love a ghost or whatever you got to do, Gutenberg.
0: Yeah, get out of that marriage. And yeah, I guess you're right because if you did care for it a little bit, you'd be well, you'd be fighting pursuing, for that marriage.
1: I think my he's pursuing
0: an adulterous relationship with a right. ghost. Right?
1: That's exactly. Not good. And I don't think that even crosses your mind because she's so horrible to him. You're just yeah. like, Psh, be free, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, basically she's just there for the story like as the antagonist and Right. That's she serves a function.
1: It's a little bit of a stretch that her dad owns the property or manages the owns the company that manages mm-hmm. this property or whatever it is. However, the weird business entanglement works there. I, that was kind of just like a thrown in there thing for me.
0: It was a little weird, it didn't make sense. I guess they were trying to explain that they were going to send her and then she was going to make sure it failed one way right. or the other. Right. Right. But then she says, "Well, you had no help from me." Yeah, (laughs) you did this all
1: yourself, basically.
0: Yeah. And another setback I'll throw out, the love stories. All felt kind of rushed. For sure. And they were all built on looks, like Black Sabbath last week we talked about. (laughs) You know, the Miranda-Tony thing, which is Jennifer Tilly plays Miranda, and then she's interested in this... A guy named Brother Tony, played by Peter Gallagher. He's about to become a priest.
1: He sounded like he just wanted to take a little vacation before he actually takes his vows. But he's already wearing his, I think they call that a dog collar, the yeah. thing that the Catholic priests wear, the black with the white. Um, so he looks like a priest, but mm-hmm. clearly, yeah. Jennifer Tilly always plays that kind of... Sultry. Yeah, whatever that character vixen. is. Yeah, vixen femme fatale kind of thing and so she's obviously out to get brother tony from the get-go and he's at first is very standoffish and like none no, i have vows i'm about mm-hmm. to be a priest but of course we know that the movie is going to unravel that and yeah. they end up a couple in fact he abandons by the end of the movie he abandons his you know, yeah
0: he says i'm only human
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> he decides the priesthood is not for him and he will be going off into the sunset with jennifer tilly's character
0: the, the the Martin-Sharon relationship, you know, he's basically crazy about Sharon because she looks good. Oh,
1: I don't think we said Martin is Liam Neeson's ghost character. Yes, yes yeah. that's
0: right. Martin Brogan. And then, of course, even Mary and Peter is kind of built on, he thinks she's beautiful, and then she's a damsel in distress. He saves right. her.
1: And his marriage is garbage, so anybody that's remotely nice to him is going to seem like...
0: Amazing. Uh, yeah. Angels yeah. from heaven. <laughs> So it wasn't, it's a comedy. So it's not like a big deal too much. But, no. you know, we've talked about it several times now where the love stories, a lot, often they're just Hollywood says, hey, there's two good looking people. Right. They're a thing now and you should just go with it. It's
1: a plot device. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think we talked about the bulk of the cast. Is there anybody else you wanted to mention?
1: Oh, um, well, you mentioned Mr. Plunkett Sr., the dead mm-hmm. dad, and mm-hmm. then the mom who's still alive, Lavinia Plunkett. I, it was just fun for me because if you watch a lot of British television, there are two faces that you're going to see. So that's Ray. I think it's McAnally, but I might be pronouncing that wrong. Okay. And then Liz Smith plays his mother, who is still amongst the living, but they think she's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, his
0: is in Peter's. She, yes, as in
1: Peter's mother in the in the story. So anyhow, she's just great. I know her affectionately as Zilla from Lark Rise to Candleford, which mm-hmm. probably not a lot of our <laughs> listeners have watched, but um if you're if you are an Anglophile like myself and have watched that series from PBS actually PBS BBC might be a I think I saw it originally on PBS, but it's a it's definitely a British production. Okay. But anyhow, that's Zilla from Lark Rise to Candleford. She's. Fantastic. I recognize
0: her from the Pink Panther movies. Oh yes. She's like Madame Balls. Yes. <laughs> unfortunate <She's> name.
1: <laughs> unfortunate, but she's a fantastic, fantastic. I can't talk. Fantastic actress. Actress. Uh, yes, she's a fantactress. <laughs> New word.
0: Uh, yes, as far as music, I definitely picked up on the the Irish. Uh, jigs that were going on here.
1: Yeah, there were some fine Irish... Oh, and I really... I loved like the first night that the American tourists arrived. Uh-huh. They have, like at the bottom of the castle, it's like a, I don't know, a bar, pub area. That's yeah. where the theater is too with the interesting uh, set and mm-hmm. all that. But they were... One of the girls that works there was playing a harp and somebody else was playing maybe a an accordion or something? Maybe. I don't remember. There were a couple like... Folk instruments being played, and it was must have been like some sort sort of folk Irish song she was singing, and it was just beautiful. It was nice. So all the Irish folks in the castle are are almost teary eyed, singing along with this folk song, uh-huh. and Steve Gutenberg's like trying to make you know just trite conversations like, oh, this is really nice. Uh, it's a nice night here. I, I love the music, and everybody's like shh. Shut up! Like, all the Irish people were taking their folk music very seriously. Oh, they were. And Gutenberg's like, oh, okay, my bad. You know, that was fun. I liked that scene. Yeah,
0: the Irish music was great. Yeah, it definitely added a different vibe to, you know, this horror film.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And then uh, we also, the orchestrated pieces were nice, too. And there was actually a riff that we we thought sounded just like a Nightmare Before Christmas riff.
1: It really does. Like,
0: dun, 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 dun. But yeah. then it went somewhere else. It was than... very close though. It was close. I
1: wouldn't be surprised if Danny Elfman may be a fan of this movie or maybe, maybe. inspired or something. Because this is like five years prior to Nightmare yeah. before Christmas, right? Yeah,
0: five years before. So yeah, pretty good music. Um, yeah,
1: it's fun. It was fun. Anything music else? appropriate for this type of movie for sure. Right. Like it fit it perfectly. Uh no, I mean that's it for me.
0: So now's the time. We say yay or nay. What say ye Kim?
1: I say yay for this movie. And we normally, I say normally, I know at least like the last episode and a lot of episodes from last season, you know, we say yay with the caveat, like this is the perfect ambiance for like if you're hosting a Halloween party, have this playing Mm -hmm. in the background, that sort of thing. I I think this is just a yay for fun. It's not really like, you don't have to watch it at Halloween. It doesn't need to be playing in the background of a Halloween party. It's just a fun, silly movie. You know, if you're stuck inside on a rainy day and... You know, you don't really want something creepy, but it's kind of fun to think about old, wet Irish castles. Yeah, (laughs) you know that may or may not be haunted. It's just a good time,
0: right? Yeah, it's a yay for me as well. It's it's just a fun kind of romp that goes on. You know, I try to think of why people wouldn't like this film, and the only thing I can think of is that maybe it's uneven in tone. Like, it definitely has some really creepy moments like remember um when peter gallagher has all those nuns that show oh, up Oh
1: yeah they have like uh, the uh what are jawa, you jawa eyes. eyes yeah
0: so they're but they're like really old school nuns and they all just kind of pop up out of the nowhere big, like
1: flying nun habit type thing
0: yeah and you see these glowing eyes they're legitimately creepy
1: they are a little creepy
0: there's another scene where this uh guy is looking at a fish that's <laughs> Right. Been caught and mounted on the wall, and this like bloody arm a comes out of its mouth. Very bloody arm, just starts strangling him.
1: Yeah, so you're right. There's a, there's a little uneven because that harkens back to like something from the movie House that we reviewed last yeah. season, right? Like it's gross and creepy and a little out of character for this movie, where most of this are kind of you know silliness and sexual innuendos.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's some silliness to it, right? So it's very lighthearted, silly, mixed with some things that are. You know, legit scary. A little
1: darker, yeah.
0: So maybe I mean I don't know. Maybe you can't make everybody happy. Like
1: according to Rotten Tomatoes, this did not make a lot of people happy. (laughs) But that's all right. That's That's fine. That's all right. I can like what I like.
0: That's right. All right, so when we posted this on Instagram, we got a few comments from folks. Let's have them. One from Yasharo1 says, This and the principal reminds me of 80s cinema.
1: All right. I think I can think of a few other things that remind me of (laughs) 80s cinema, but I'll take it.
0: Yes. I haven't even seen the principal.
1: No, I haven't either.
0: So, yeah. You got to watch some more 80s movies, man. All right. Shirtless Freddie Mercury, which is great.
1: <laughs> what a
0: great handle. <laughs> great handle. This movie is wild. Spelunking, or whatever it's called, will scar me for life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, spelunking?
0: Remember in the movie that's when uh, the ghost kind of joins with Steve Gutenberg?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Did they call it spelunking? Wow, yeah. I don't even remember. Isn't that cave diving? Isn't that what that word really means?
0: I, I really don't <laughs> know. <laughs> But it's kind of funny though. Like Steve Gutenberg, he had a weird scene like this in Cocoon. Yeah,
1: like, he did. Where he kind
0: of joins with the alien.
1: This is a thing for Steve Gutenberg.
0: So yeah, maybe that's why he's so happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this works for him. <laughs> he's lived an interesting life. Yes, he has. All right. So Fresno film buff says this was on cable all the time in the nineties. I remember it being weirder and scarier than Beetlejuice.
1: Really weirder and scarier than Beetlejuice.
0: I don't know if it's weirder. We did talk about a few scenes in High Spirits like with the crazy nuns and then that uh, arm that comes out of the fish yeah, mouth. Yeah, there's a couple and... gory
1: things, but Yeah. I still think Beetlejuice has it on gore. But yeah. I probably saw High Spirits as an older kid and Beetlejuice as a younger kid.
0: Yeah, maybe that's what it is.
1: So, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, know.
0: they're in the same ballpark though, for sure. For sure. Bebop Jones gave hands of praise. I All think right. You like this one? Uh, Trev9F says, a great film, saw it at the cinema. Fun. Yeah. It would
1: have been a fun cinema watch.
0: And then the last one from Rachel Drummond. I absolutely love this movie.
1: Aw, well, glad we could chat about it with you.
0: Yeah. So awesome.
1: Fun times.
0: So what are we watching next week?
1: Okay, next week we are going to watch the 1982 Swamp Thing movie. Ooh. Yeah, it was directed by Wes Craven. If you want to watch it for free, it's on TV, which is a free app. Uh, Basically, a violent incident with a special chemical causes a research scientist to turn into a swamp plant monster. Mm. And I think we all kind of have ideas of what Swamp Thing is. We've seen pictures and posters of them if we haven't seen the movie. So Mm -hmm. I'm interested. I've never seen this. Um, Yeah, we'll see. It's
0: it's another 80s movie, back to back. So that'll be fun. yeah.
1: 80s back to back.
0: And it may be our first comic book film.
1: Oh, yeah. I did not. This guy, Swamp Thing, is a DC character? Is yeah. that right?
0: Yeah, nobody really thinks of him as a DC character. I had no idea. I didn't really know that either until recently. Uh, of course, they followed the Swamp Thing movie that we're going to review with a return of the Swamp Thing that stars Heather Locklear. Oh. And they did a, a TV show reboot in 1990, I think. And then I was surprised to see they did one in 2019, which I haven't seen that one yet. Yes,
1: I saw that. I had no idea, but apparently they rebooted this in 2019 as a a series. They've had one season so far. Yeah,
0: haven't seen it. Don't know anything about it.
1: Yeah, if you know about it, comment. Let us know. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, cool. I think that wraps it up for us. Everybody have a great week.
1: Yep. Enjoy your movie watching, guys. Peace out.
0: Peace out.